take up the clicker. Oh, yeah. Thank you. You guys ready for round two? All right, let's get into it. Hey, it is so good to see you all. My name is Michael. Nobody's sitting in the front row today because I'm holding a golf club. And um, it's a good thing they're not because I have no idea how to golf. More on that in a minute. Um, I'm a youth pastor here and have the privilege of serving um, on staff alongside an awesome team. One of my favorite parts about youth ministry is our small group leaders. Do we have any? We've got two here. Handful. I, I love our small group leaders. They're incredible. Um, they pour into our students week after week after week, um, sitting with them, talking with them, hearing stories, sometimes crying with them. Um, and I love just the hard work that they put in um, to watch spiritual transformation happen in students' lives. And so one of the ways that we love to thank them is we go to a little thing called Top Golf. You guys ever heard of that? Top Golf? Let's see here. Boom. We go to Top Golf, okay? Raise your hand if you've ever been there. Okay, we're in good company, people. Top Golf is like bougie bowling. That's like three floors up, and you get up there and, and you knock the balls into the holes. Now, here's the deal. I am not a golfer, but I know that our student ministry leaders love golf and the chips that we buy. So we go there in May as kind of a thank you. And so I get up there and, you know, grab one of these, which I couldn't even tell you which number it is, um, but I know they have numbers, right? It's a driver. Thank you. You guys ready for me to butcher every sports metaphor in the book today? Okay, here we go. So I get out there, and I'm like, all right, I got this. You know, I go up to it, and already some of you are like, dear Lord, he's holding it wrong, or he's standing wrong, and I have no idea what I'm doing, but I have seen a brilliant work of cinematography in American history called Happy Gilmore by Adam Sandler, and I remember something to do with like, there's like a hop, skip, jump sort of thing, right? With a hockey, with a hockey stick, and you just kind of, you know, go, go after it. And Nick, you're, you're in a safe distance here, so don't worry. Um, but he would, you know, hop, skip, and jump. And so for me at Top Golf, I figured that's the way to go, right? Like you hop, skip, jump, and smack it until it goes where you want it to go. Now, who's ever played golf in here? Any of you ever played golf? Okay, who's never played golf? The rest of you? Yeah, you're, I'm in good company today. That's great. So, Here's a tip for all you non-golfers from a very terrible golfer. It doesn't really matter how hard you hit the ball, apparently, okay? So you go up, and you can chop at that thing like nothing else, and it won't go very far, okay? What it likes to do is shoot, like, the wrong way or, like, go down. And so one time I went to hit it, and it actually flew behind me. So... <laughs> Somebody's going to have to explain the physics of that to me, but golf is very confusing. So I'm, I'm hacking away and having a good time because that's what you do at Top Golf. And, uh, and then one of our student ministry leaders, he comes up to me and he's like, can I help you? <laughs> can I help you with that? I said, no. what, what's wrong? <laughs> you know? He's like, you're, you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else. And so he came up and showed me, okay, you got you to line up your feet, get that right with your shoulders, and then you got to, you know, get your thumbs lined up. The thumb thing is huge, apparently. Whatever. So get your thumbs lined up, and then, you know, you don't do, and I couldn't, I couldn't even remember the rest of the stuff he said, but he said, you know, don't do one of those things, and, and make sure, you know, you do your wiggle beforehand. And so he instructs me on what to do, and I go to swing for the ball, and it connects, right? It flew out, uh, into this amazing area of these like glowing holes that you hope your ball goes into. It didn't, but the fact of the matter is I hit the ball and it flew. Okay, people, it was a very, very great moment for me in my golfing career, um, and I was thankful for, for Ray and his wisdom there. You know, 
This isn't just a plug for joining student ministries because we go to Top Golf. Although, if that is a reason to join the team, I'm not going to say no to you. So, um, but the reason I'm telling you guys about that is this: you know, I needed somebody who was willing to speak the truth to me, right? Say, hey, you're going to hurt yourself for somebody else. Somebody who could look in and say, hey, let me help you. I know how to golf. You don't. Let me just kind of come alongside of you and show you how to hit the ball. And you know, the reality is with our relationship with Jesus is that we need people to come alongside of us. You notice that? Maybe you, maybe you remember when you were first to faith, or maybe you're just now kind of exploring what it means to follow Jesus. And it can be really clunky, right? We, we have all this stuff that we see in like the Bible, or maybe you've heard from like a pastor or a friend, and you're like, how do I do this? Because this is how my life looks. This is what the Bible says. And how do we get from here to here? And what we see in Scripture is so beautiful is that actually what Jesus does is he works through people. He works through people who are then living out his word, who are walking alongside of us and training us how to be followers of Jesus. We actually need each other. We need each other to do that. And almost as important as our need for each other is our need for people to speak the truth in love. Amen, somebody? Yeah, we need people who will be willing. These things are killing me, man. It's like a, I feel like a cat for jingling every time I move. Okay, what we need is people who will speak the truth in love to us. Not just hit us over the head with it, but lovingly speak truth so that we might grow into the fullness of Christ. And that's exactly where we're going today in Ephesians. That's what we see in Ephesians 4. So a little bit of recap for you. If you're new with us, we've been flying through Ephesians, okay? Usually, we would take about nine months to do a book like this. We're going through it in six weeks, okay? So we got to keep our seatbelts on as we go through this. But in chapter 1, we see this. You are in Christ, If you have trusted in him, if you believed in him, you are in Christ. There's no more profound statement, I think, about our identity in Scripture than this one right here. It's even potentially more impressive than the Imago Dei, that we were made in his image. Because the Imago Dei actually leads us to the in Christ. We are in him. Now, this has a whole host of heavenly blessings and and physical blessings that we experience because of this reality that we're now in him, we're secure in him. We now have a new identity in him. And it's from this place that the rest of our life begins to flow. So that's why Paul starts here in his letter. He says, hey, you're in Christ. This is amazing. And by the way, you used to be dead. Like, not like, you know, kind of dead. No, like dead, dead. And you were on the bottom of the ocean floor, and you needed Jesus to rescue you. And so you were once dead, but now you're alive. But we're not just alive to be there for ourselves. We're actually alive unto good works that God has prepared for us in advance. It's exciting, isn't it, to, to consider that? That God actually has stuff that he's prepared for you to do. He actually has a plan for you. He actually has a purpose for you. That's going to be part of how you were made for more and made to do what God has called you to do. He has good works planned for each and every one of you that are going to make a kingdom impact. Then in chapter 3, we see this. That this new identity and purpose is for everyone who's in Christ. Now, it's, it's hard to, to overstate how profound this concept is because we experience some degree of like ethnic and racial tension today, right? We've seen that even rise in the past few years in some level where it's been more brought to the forefront of our culture. And then it was even worse if you could imagine it. Like the divide between the Jews and the Gentiles was, was just astounding, right? They were not even supposed to mix or be around each other. And what we see in Ephesians 3 is Paul unpacks the reality of the breaking down of the wall of how now we have access to God, and that access to God is not limited to an ethnic people group, but is for all peoples. And so there's a unity across all ethnic groups that comes in Christ. 
All of us are in Christ. No matter what color your skin is, no matter what your background is, we're in Christ together. That's our common unity. That's profound. And it's that profound mystery that we're now one in Christ that is actually being, being sent out to the world. That's the manifold wisdom of God that we proclaim as his people. That we're one in him. And we have a new purpose, a new identity. That's chapter 3. And then chapter 4 through 6 is this. Now what? Okay, Paul, these are profound ideas. This is incredible. I'm really beginning to understand what Jesus has done. But now what do I do? And that's where we pick up in chapter 4. Here's the summary statement. We were made for more. Every single one of us. We were made to be more than a sales rep. We were made to be more than a business owner. We were made to be more than a technician. We were made to be more than a stay-at-home mom. Not that any of these things are not good in and of themselves, but we were meant to take these things and do even more with them. Because God has prepared good works for us, right? He's prepared something for you as a stay-at-home mom and as a technician and as a sales rep. And so how do we do that? In fact, at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul says, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. That's scary. <laughs> we really think about it. That we're called to walk in a manner worthy of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So how do we do that? Well, Paul instructs us to grow up. <laughs> he says, grow up, mature into the fullness of Christ with the help of one another. And what this looks like is letting go of our old ways and learning the way of Jesus. We do that through the truth of God that's shared in our lives from other people and through his word. So let's read Ephesians 4 together. It says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And then this one's a mouthful. To the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is a very long sentence. It's still going. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for these truths. We thank you for these realities. God, I pray that this morning as we unpack them, as we dive into your word, that you would just work powerfully through your word, God, that you get me out of the way, get everything out of the way, um, and just speak to your people in such a way that is a, of the power and demonstration of your spirit. We pray this in your son's name. Everybody said, amen. So probably the most important part of this next section is this, he says, and he gave. Here's what's going on. He has just laid out for us, Paul, just laid out for us that we're meant to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Why? Because there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father over all who is over all, in all, and through all. He says, there's one thing that we're about as the people of God. Yes, there's rolling hills, there's sun hills, there's district hills, there's us, but here's the deal. We're all on the same team. There's one Jesus. There's one spirit. We all actually have the same job. Every church is meant to do the same thing, to make disciples who make disciples, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus. And so the way that we do that, it says, as Ephesians 4 continues, is that Jesus Christ gave a grace to us. He gave us a grace, a gift. 
How did he do that? He secured it by the work that he did for us on the cross. That's Psalm 68 being unpacked at the beginning of chapter 4. And then he says this. So he secured this grace. He went through this thing as the picture of the divine warrior. And then he gives to us a gift. He also gives to us these people, these roles, these jobs, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, I'm going to spend a little bit of time unpacking each of these and, and what they do and why they exist. But before we get there, the most important part is that he gave. There's one hero. It's Jesus. No pastor is a hero. No evangelist is a hero. No prophet. No apostle. It's only Jesus. And so even these offices that the church were given, they all go back to Jesus. And you know what the point of them are? To make everybody else like Jesus, okay? So it's all about him. It's always been about him, and it'll forever be about him. So he gives us these roles, these, these jobs, these people with some unique giftings. Who are they and what do they do? Well, we have apostles. Now, there's capital A apostles and there's lowercase a apostles, all right? So there's those who were with Jesus. They had a one-to-one relationship with him, those original 12 minus one from Judas plus one for Paul, okay? So you have these original 12 who have a direct connection to Jesus. It's from these men that we actually derive the New Testament. They were really close to him, and so people helped write down some of their words. People studied them. There was a direct one-to-one connection for most of the books in the New Testament with an apostle. Furthermore, we see that apostles, actually in, in Greek what it means is the sent ones, okay? So other people in the New Testament are given the title apostle, but it's not like a capital A apostle. It's a little a apostle, but it doesn't mean their job was any less significant. You see, what these people were meant to do is they were sent to start new endeavors, They were your spiritual entrepreneurs, right? They're the ones who said, okay, what if you could take your phone and your radio and mix them? And then Steve Jobs makes a million dollars, right? So, billion dollars, um, right? That's, That's what they do. But what they do with spiritual entrepreneurship is it's saying, where are the places where people are unreached? How do we go to them? How do we reach them? It's what church planners are. They say, we need to start a new community of faith somewhere. And so they exercise this apostolic gifting, little a, to be sent and to start a new endeavor. Some of you may be wired that way. This isn't just like people who are on a paid staff. In fact, there's probably people in here who are wired this way. And God's put some sort of dream in your heart to go and start something with people. It's actually key to building up the church, this type of person. The next person is the prophet. Now, this is where, like, you know, we get a little spooky, right? People get a little uneasy. We're talking about prophecy. Look out, right? Or maybe you've encountered somebody who said something really weird to you and was like, this is God's word to you, man. And you're like, whoa, slow down, buddy. Let's, Let's just talk about what this means, all right? So in the Bible, in the Old Testament and New Testament, here's what we see. Prophecy, as exercised biblically, is a foretelling or a forth telling of God's will and God's ways. Here's what I mean. Foretelling meaning a, a predictor of something that is to happen. Forthtelling mean proclaiming something that is true. So saying something about his character. What we see in the New Testament and Old Testament alike is this class of people who were prophets. And, and what they did is they spoke on behalf of God. Sometimes in a way that was very much, this is God's word, do this. Other times in form of sermons. Other times in forms of just information to somebody. But what we see as a function of building up the church is some type of prophetic gifting. Those who are trying to hear from God and say what they hear from God to build up the church. Now, there's probably people in this room who lean this way. 
But here's what we do. If anybody ever comes like, okay, so I heard from God, and here's what you need to do. We say, thanks. Thanks for telling me that. I'm so glad. You know, I'm going to check that with God's word too, because I hear from him here as well. And so now that you've said this, I'm going to check it with scripture. And if they seem to line up, and I can find a handful of other people that can agree, then maybe there's something to what you're saying. Okay, that's how we deal with this gift of prophecy. We go back to God's word. We test it. And we say, okay, this lines up, or this doesn't line up. No, you had a bad burrito, and uh, you need to rethink that, right? So, but this is actually super important because people with a prophetic gifting or leaning, they're the ones who are, they're looking out for like the lost. They're looking out for those who are the outcasts, those who are the poor, and they're saying, hey, what are we doing for them? How are we helping them? Typically, that's how that functions in the church body. And then you have the evangelists. Right, these are your Billy Grahams, the dudes who like set up the thing, and they just go for it, right? Now, not every person who has an evangelistic gifting is going to look like a Billy Graham. In fact, it might look like setting up like a video game tournament, right? And so there's all kinds of things that people do, but what the evangelist does is that they're exceptionally effective at reaching the yet to believe. Now, this doesn't mean that the rest of us get to opt out, right? Like, oh, okay, well, we've got a handful of evangelists here at the church, so we can just like not reach people for Jesus because that's their job. No, their job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, right? Likewise with the shepherds and teachers. The shepherds and teachers are wired to care. They're those awesome listeners. Like, you know some of them, right? That one person, you're like, dude, when I talk to them, they get me. They listen, they hear with their heart. Those are people who are shepherding. In fact, a lot of people who lead our life groups have a shepherd gift. They're there to pastor, to listen, to care. There's also teachers whose job is to instruct in the ways of the Lord and to say, this is what God means. Here's how we do this in our lives. So we have this, this mix of gifts, okay? We have our apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. But what these are not is they're not boxes, right? They're not boxes where it's like, okay, this is only for them and we don't do this. But in fact, what they're meant to do is equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So who are the saints? You guys, right? Me, we're saints, which is an intimidating title in and of itself, right? You're a saint. No, there's no like painting with a little halo around you that people are going to pray to you later, but you are a saint, meaning you're holy, you're set apart by God. And what these gifts are meant to do is to equip us to do the work of the ministry. That's the good stuff. That's the conversations with people. That's the walking alongside people through the hard things in their life. That's the actually sharing the gospel over a cup of coffee or while you're at the gym. And so for me, I know I'm not really wired in the E set of gifting, okay? Like, that's not my strength. I'm not super good at, let's go talk about, you know, Jesus to this person, and it's going to get them saved. I'm not effective at that. But what I have noticed is I have a friend who is. Like, literally, he will set up a video game tournament, and two guys get saved. I'm like, well, how do you do this? Teach me your ways, all right? And so he's very gifted in this area. And so what I, what I know is I'm like, okay, as a follower of Jesus, I'm called to make disciples to make disciples. I'm called to go and reach the lost. So I know that I'm not that great at that naturally, but I know somebody who's really good at swinging that golf club. I know somebody who's really good at lining it up and has been working at it. He's just a natural at it. So maybe they can teach me. So here's what I did. I've been going to Snap. You guys know Snap Fitness? It's, right, okay. So that's where, that's where I usually go. I have a time I go, and I got like the same dudes are there always at the same time. And there's this one guy, he's at, and I'm not going to say his name because I don't want, you know, I'm praying for him, people, okay? Don't mess it up. So uh, there's this guy I've been praying for, and he is like the pastor of Snap, okay? So he rolls in, and he's high-fiving all of his dudes. I was like, what's up, man? What's up? You know, they're all talking. I'm like, this guy, dude, we get this guy saved, whole gym saved, all right? <laughs> We're making it happen. And so 
So I'm sitting there, you know, doing my thing, like praying, you know, God, I'm praying for this guy. Like, I don't know his name yet. I'm like, God, give me an opportunity to, you know, talk to him or like build a relationship to share you with him ultimately. So I'm sitting there praying, praying. I'm like, I don't know what to do, but I know the guy who gets people saved with video games and the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, hey, what should I do? How do I do it? And, and he starts walking me through, hey, maybe try this or say that or just give him a high five and say, what's up? Because that's what you do in student ministry anyway, right? And so and I'm like, all right, I'll try it. And so it was super clunky, but we're sitting there doing the thing. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? And we start talking, right? And it's so awkward for me because I'm not naturally that way. But I do know that that's what Jesus calls us to be, right? And so even though we may not be an evangelist or a prophet or an apostle or whatever, we're called to make disciples. We were made for more. And the way that we do the work of the ministry is going to these people who maybe have some of these giftings and saying, how do I do this? Can you show me how? Can you teach me something? Can you walk with me here? And that's how we grow into maturity. That's how the body of Christ is going to be built up is through those kinds of things. No, that guy's not saved yet, by the way. So if you, uh, if you know who he is, keep praying for him with me because I'm praying he gets Jesus and, um, and I'm praying that God would use multiple people praying for this person that they would get Jesus. And I hope that's the same kind of thing you guys get to experience. That's not just like the professionals on stage. It's not just people on staff. It's all of us saying, wherever you're placed, whatever workplace you're in, wherever you learn, wherever you play, you are uniquely positioned to reach people I will never see or talk to. Most likely, unless they show up here and I'll give them a high five. But the, the likelihood of me knowing them is very limited. But you're there. And God put you there for a reason. He put you there to share his love with them. And so these gifts that were given to the church, they're given for a really good reason. And they're actually given for a lot of, uh, they're given for a very long period of time. Check this out. It says, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When do you think we're going to get there? Probably heaven. Right? I would hope at least in heaven. But this is a very long-term play. It's a long-term play to have multiple people working together to build up the body of Christ into the fullness of Christ. It's incredible that Jesus would do that. That he would take those who were dead, make them alive, and then work through them in such a way so that his fullness would be experienced. We get to be a part of that. That's the more that we're made for. The reason we do that is so that we're no longer children tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine and human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The picture here is developing confidence in who Jesus says that we are, growing into that so that we can walk in what it is that he has for us. And then he sets it up. He says, rather than being immature and thrown around by everything, we're to speak the truth in love. Now, what I love about the original language here is it's actually truthing in love. Like Paul made up his own verb there, right, or participle. He said, you're going to truth in love. Embody the truth of God in love so that we would grow up into every way him who is Christ. Now, truth can be kind of dangerous, can't it? On some level, truth can be a hammer and everything can look like a nail. And that can get us into a lot of trouble. And it can actually do a lot of harm in people's lives. In fact, what we see Paul write in 1 Corinthians is that truth without love is just a banging gong. Nobody's going to get saved from you banging a gong, right? No one's going to follow Jesus because of that. But what we do is we truth in love. We say, okay, what is God's word? What has he said? What has he called us to be? And how do I embody that in such a way so that other people would know him? That's being the living proof of a loving God. 
That's where that phrase comes from, is an idea like this. That we would truth in love. We would be gentle, but in such a way that it actually calls people into the fullness that Christ has made them to be. And when we do that, here's what happens. It says that we grow into him. We become more like him, and we begin to work together properly because of this equipping that's happened, and we build ourselves up in love. That's the way the church was designed to work. It it wasn't designed to, to just work institutionally as a bunch of people receiving and then going. It's actually designed to have an all skate, right? Everybody's on the rink, everybody's got their thing they're doing, and everybody's doing their part in the unique way that they're called to. And so that's our hope as a church, is that we would do that. That we'd recognize that we need each other to be all that God has called us to be. None of us can do it alone. None of us can walk in what he has for us alone. We actually need each other to build each other up in Christ so that the fullness of Christ would go forth into our communities in such a way that causes people to ask questions and say, who is this Jesus? And the second thing is this. We want a truth in love to grow up in Christ. That's the key. It's starting to be authentic. Starting to say, here's where we're really at, and then being able to move forward. Because you can't move forward until you actually figure out where you are. But when you figure out where you are, and somebody helps truth you in love, you can recognize, yeah, my golf swing is all kinds of messed up. Help me with this. More importantly, it could be a part of your life, some sort of sin issue maybe you're dealing with, or some conviction that you hold that, that just isn't founded in Scripture. What we need is people who can speak truth into our lives in a loving way so that we can grow up into maturity. And all of these ideas are brought together with the idea of communion, that it's actually all about Jesus. It was always about him. It'll always be about him. I don't know if you noticed how many times in just that paragraph of chapter four, but it said, he is the one who gave. We grow up into him. He's the head. It's all about Jesus, all of it. Any sort of made for more kind of thing we would do, it's about him. And it ultimately leads to him so that others would experience the fullness of Christ. And so in communion, What we're doing when we take the body and the bread is we're saying we have a common unity with each other and we have a common unity with the Father. It's saying that we've actually been reconciled to Jesus so that we are also reconciled to one another. And it's from that unity, it's from that access to God that we have that the fullness of Christ is experienced in our world. So guys, we're going to worship here in just a minute. We're going to listen to this song. But I pray as we receive the elements that you guys would be reflecting on the reality that you are. We're made for more.